You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Amen. If you will, take your Bible this morning and turn to Nehemiah chapter 8 today. Nehemiah chapter 8. Great new song. Appreciate uh, our uh, music team introducing that today. And uh, good reminders. We pivot from last Sunday. A few of you said last Sunday was exhausting or heavy, and, uh, and uh, you meant that in the right sense, but uh, grateful for what God did last Sunday and all that had a part in that, and uh, grateful that you're back today. Nehemiah chapter 8, as you're turning there. If you would pray, uh, Tim, am I understanding right, this is your guys last Sunday? All right, so those of you that have been holding out to commit to the church because you're not sure about Tim, he's leaving, okay? Uh, Gina is leaving with him. We're sad about that. No, I'm just kidding, but uh, the uh, Millers are moving out west to Texas, so make sure you pray for them and encourage them, and I guess they had enough of me. You guys have been here about a year, and they're like, that's enough. We just can't take that guy anymore. But uh, we're mixed emotions, but we're praying for them, excited about this new phase for them, and excited about what God's doing here as well as what he'll do there. In Nehemiah chapter 8 today, let's look, if you will, at verse number 5, and we'll read 5 and 6, and then we'll look at a few other verses in this text today. Uh, our study today is uh, really setting the foundation for a new season of ministry as we begin to uh, do some additional improvements to our church campus here our building and facilities, and want to give to you reasons why that's important as a church, and uh, hopefully through our text today that will come through. Excited about what God's going to do in the days ahead. Nehemiah chapter uh, 8, let's look if you would, verse 5, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and when he opened it up, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, notice these next two words, amen, amen with lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So I want to look at today this subject, building an amen, building an amen. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us today. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the joy it is to be here today. Um, thank you for what you did last weekend in our hearts and minds, and as you challenged us and comforted us and redirected us, thank you for... Um, just that opportunity that we shared together. We pray now as we enter this moment, that Lord, you would convince us anew and afresh that we are called to be the incarnate, uh, fleshed out, visible body of Christ in this moment, in this season, in this um, period of human history. What a privilege, what an exciting opportunity. Lord, with all the challenges and burdens that come with living in our fallen world, thank you that we get, we have the privilege to be uh, your voice and your hands and your feet to this world. And I pray, Father, you would, you would uh, remind us of our part in that. You would encourage us as we see you blessing and growing our church. We're grateful for that. But Lord, we know ultimately it's not for us. We are not the end of this. We're a means. And we pray that you would help us to glorify you in the midst of all you're doing, as well as to serve better our county, our community, and especially those that are seeking you and have yet to find you. Bless this service, bless this study, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, I don't know if you and your dentist have had any bonding moments or not. Uh, I have, and uh, maybe you have as well. And one of the things I remember years ago, especially growing up, was the guilt trip about not flossing. Uh, any of you have teenagers that you're trying to just get to shower, let alone floss their teeth? I was one of those. Um, and so a few years ago, I started flossing more religiously. It's just a small habit I've developed maybe in the last three years. I, I, I would do it periodically, like the week before the dentist appointment, and he'd just look at me like, nice try, buddy, okay? Um, but uh, it, it, I, I've tried to, every year, have a few new goals that I add. So just one or two new disciplines. So I remember three or four years ago, that being added to my list. And... Uh, I use what are called flossers, like they have a little plastic, you know, uh, bracket with just a little piece of floss. Any of you remember before those came out, you know, you would unroll, you know, this large, you know, several foot long, and then you would wrap, you know, you had to cut it off first. There's like that little flange sticking up and you'd slice it and then you'd wrap 
some around one finger and then one, on one hand and then around, a, and then you would try to get your hands into your mouth, all that goes with that. Um, I was reading the other day, this is just interesting to me because I think it relates to our study today. Someone said this, 90%, now this would be pre-flosser days, the day and age in which we are in today, but prior to that, 90% of all dental floss ever made had been used to hold in place the 10% that was being used for its intended purpose. You catch that? Isn't that kind of interesting? Can I just tell you today as it relates to the local church, we often focus upon the 10% that's the part that, that feels good and connects with us directly in a spiritual sense. But can I just tell you, there's another 90% beyond that that often moves the things that God does when we meet for this hour or so, hour and 15 minutes together, that really prepares and platforms and, and positions us to be what God has called us to be as a church. Um, and so though you may not enjoy this today or get excited about this as much as maybe us pastors do or those in church leadership, um, the 90% is crucial to the 10%. And so we're going to look at today what these believers, these that were a part of the Jewish nation did that set up this glorious moment that we just read in verse 6 where they fall upon their faces crying amen in worship to the Lord. And here's just the opening thought as we begin. Far too often we are over-spiritualizing our part in affirming the Word of God before a watching world where we need to be more tangible and we need to be more practical. And so I want us to think about today this word amen. And I don't know how you close your prayers. I, I close them with typically in Christ's name, in Jesus' name, amen. What does the word amen mean, and what is the relevance of it to the church? Or am I going to hope today by the end of this service that next Sunday we're going to have rousing amens with every point that I make as a pastor? Maybe those days are gone in some sense from generations past that some of us grew up in. But the word amen, as one author put it, is kind of a super yes. I love how he words this. It signals a large enthusiasm, a deep commitment and a resolve to follow through in practice what God has revealed. In essence, amen invites heaven and earth to witness our commitment to God's word. So in days gone by, when we would have heard more rousing amens in maybe preaching services, the spirit of that was, I'm with what just was said. I'm committed to what just was said. And doing so in a way that was tangible and audible, they were supporting and identifying with God's word. And so how do we do that in our day? Not just in, and, and I will submit to you, in that era of days gone by, some of those amens may have been more for show than anything. Um, but how do we show our affirmation to God's word? How do we identify with it in a way that makes a difference in those that are watching? So we're going to talk about today for a few minutes Ezra. Now what's confusing about the chapter we're in is we're in the book of Nehemiah, but we're talking about Ezra, who also has a book uh, that records some of his prophecies and his contributions to uh, the nation of Israel. Ezra, that's referenced here, returned to, Is to Jerusalem in 458 BC, 14 years before Nehemiah. So he would have set the table for much of the receptivity of the people in Jerusalem to this 52-day project that Nehemiah would launch of rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. And if you were to read Ezra chapter 9, Ezra chapter 10, you would see that when Ezra showed up back in 485, that there was the, the, the condition of the nation, not just morally and physically, but spiritually, uh, was uh, deplorable at best. And so he began to teach God's word and to, uh, to expound upon it, and the people of God began to respond to his teaching. And all of that set up then uh, the tangible work that Nehemiah would lead out on uh, 14 years after Ezra showed up. And so the question today is this, as we process this idea of building an amen or an affirmation to God and to his word, how do we in a day of apathetic, half-hearted responses to the ministry of the local church, how do we in contrast demonstrate an unmistakable and incarnate commitment to it? How do we show it? How do I show that I affirm I'm with God, I'm with his word, I'm with the mission that he has given to the church? Let's talk about today two construction agendas. These are things that we can build both tangibly 
as well as figuratively in our lives that will help us affirm our commitment to God's word. And our outline is there in the bulletin if it helps you follow along. All right, number one, let's talk about the first commitment you and I must make, this construction uh, project that we're a part of. Number one, we platform the word of God corporately. We got it there, guys? Okay, sorry, Titus. Platform the word of God corporately. If I were to ask you today, um, do you have some little white box? Well, let me ask it this way. How many of you have an Apple product, a phone, iPhone, iPad, something like that? All right. How many of you also still have the white box that came in somewhere in your house? Isn't that so stupid? Josh shakes his head no, being the Mac zealot that he is, um, the Apple zealot that he is. Um, I was, as I was kind of thinking about that, I looked off to my left. I have three white boxes stacked in my office at home. They're just collecting dust. They've been there for years. Well, we've moved, you know, we move, but it, they've been somewhere in one of my offices for years. Why do I keep those? Um, have you noticed that Apple, I was reading a biography about Steve Jobs, and he was talking about how the presentation matters. Um, and he said this, I find this fascinating. You design a ritual. This might be a bit overstating it, but this was his view a ritual of unpacking to make the product feel special. Packaging can be theater. It creates a story. And that vacuum feel as you pull the lid off, uh, all of those things are not by accident, uh, and and we're still keeping those boxes to this day. Um, Just a thought today as we kind of set the foundation for our study. Do you know that Christians used to be the most innovative and creative contributors to the world? And we have become, listen to me, this is a passion of mine. Under the guise of austerity and frugality, we've lost our presentation. We've lost the ability to show how much we care about and love what we profess to believe about Jesus Christ. Now, am I saying that we have to have ostentatious presentation? I'm not. But sometimes the rejection of our message or the pushback against our presentation is less about the substance and it's more about how we're presenting it. Um, Could not the musicians today have just come in 10 minutes before church, threw a few songs on the schedule and sung, it would not have had the same presentation today. We we know that in certain concepts. Here's my question. Are you doing your part? Am I doing my part to platform the word of God corporately? Dr. Fielder, who will be with us again this next year in our missions conference, I remember him, Heidi alluded to this in our small group this past Wednesday. Love, we had a great start to our small group this past Wednesday. She was talking about, Brother Fielder, how he mentioned this a few mission conferences ago. We talk about, I can't go on a mission trip. I can't afford to go on a mission trip. Some of us may have medical reasons or other things that limit us, or I can't serve in the church. And then we get in our $40,000, vehicle and drive home to our multi-hundred-thousand-dollar house, and we don't have time or money to invest in the cause of Jesus Christ. Now, that's not true of all in the room. But we've become selective in what we do, our effort and our excellence in platforming the Word of God. Um, I was just in Haggai just a few weeks ago in my Old Testament reading, and remember where God says, how long will you dwell in your sealed houses? The word has the idea of paneling, ornate houses. In my house, God says, lie in waste. And he, and he says in verse number eight, I love this. He says, go up to the mountain, bring down the wood, build the house, and I will take pleasure in it. Do what I've told you to do. And so may we be willing to be a part of platforming uh, the word of God corporately. Now go back to the beginning of our text today, and let's notice the things that precede what would have been an amazing moment. Can you imagine seeing Ezra? The scribe, the priest get up and read the word and everybody just falls down and worship to God. That did not happen by accident. There was a platforming that prepared everything for this moment. Go back to verse one. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. So this is the gate that's just recently been reconstructed by Nehemiah. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, all right? This is God's word, what they had access to at this point, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. Number one, jot this down. These are a few things we can do, or these should motivate us to build a platform for the word of God corporately. Number one, platformed hunger. The word there is hunger. 
these folks had a hunger for God's word. And so what they did, we're going to get to in a moment, they built a platform to then hear God's word delivered unto them. One of the things I see in our ranks is we are passive as it relates to our appetite for God's word. We view it as kind of this extemporaneous, just kind of organic thing that happens. Either I love God's word or I don't. Instead of, I build a life. I build a schedule. I'm a part of building a church where the word of God is primary. Platforming what encourages and facilitates hunger for the word of God. I mentioned this a few months ago, but we eat with our eyes. So much of our eating, our appetite, has nothing to do with how it feels on our palate, how it tastes on our palate. It's how it looks. How does God's word look as a result of your contributions to the ministry of the word? All right, two things quickly under that. Number one, help build what facilitates in us a hunger for the scriptures. Help build. Come join with me. Let me join with you. Help build what will facilitate in us a hunger for the scriptures. And so in here in verse 1, notice the people gather together and they want to hear the word of God. Remember, they didn't have, as I look out, either you have a digital copy or you have a physical copy this morning of God's word. They didn't have that. They were relying upon someone reading to them and expounding to them the word of God. And so we see this hunger for the word of God. In fact, in verse 1, you notice it says they gathered together as what? One man. Churches are renowned for two things negatively. Number one, hypocrisy, right? Bunch of hypocrites. And sadly, many times we have been a contributing factor on that front. The second one is we're known for what? Splits. Dividing, dividing, dividing. Can I tell you the only thing that will keep us together is when the Word of God is the central focus of our platform. Everything we build, everything we promote, it's not personalities, it's not our culture, it's not our agendas, it has to be the Word of God. And until we gather with that purpose, and we're a contributing part of that purpose, uh, ultimately, Uh, the devil will accomplish his divide and conquer attack. Adam and Eve turned on each other when they moved away from God's word, and so will we. In our homes, in our church, may we ask God to give us that unity. All right, verse 3, we'll come back to verse 2. And he read therein, before the street that was before the water gate, so they're still in the same location. Notice this, from morning, 6 a.m. until midday, 12, before the men and the women. And so we see during this six hour period, they read the word of God. Um, everything that I can read, it's likely in six hours, you can read about a fourth of the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses. So they read up to one fourth of that section. I don't know if you can think of some sections in, in the Pentateuch that aren't so exciting, especially standing in a, you know, kind of just kind of coming out of the rubble and the building and the din of all of that. They're listening to the word of God. Can you imagine if it was Leviticus? <laughs> and so they, they, they gave themselves to the word of God. They chose to focus upon and have a passion for the word of God. And here's one of the things that's helped me that I hope will help you. No matter what phrase or section of scripture it is, if I'm a part of affirming it, that retains my attention. So when I come to church and sit passively, or as I did last Sunday night, listen to Brother Nick, make me look like a short-winded preacher. Um, But as I sat on the front row, I'm not preaching tonight, checking out. No, I'm a part of the service. I'm a part of the ministry of the Word. And so when we're engaged in it, any part of God's Word is significant and creates in us a greater hunger. Uh, While we don't have to have a hostage situation in our platform and pulpit ministry, the preaching of God's word must be primary. We can never let it be displaced by music, drama, no matter how well intended those things may be, movie nights as we have coming up this Friday, other things that have their role, but the word of God must be central. Are you of the crowd checking your watch if we run a little long? When? Since we always run a little long. Or are you one who wants to hear the word of God? What's the vibe we're giving off during the ministry of the word? All right, go back to verse 2. And notice the second 
This, this, is, this is a passion of mine. There's a second reason we should platform the word of God corporately as it relates to hunger. Verse 2, notice the end of the verse. So he mentions men and women. Those are adults that are listed there. Notice, and all that could hear with understanding. Go down to verse 3, the end of the verse. And those that could understand. Number two, jot this down. Help build what will facilitate in us a hunger with the next generation. That being referenced at the end of verse 2 and the end of verse 3 are the young people, the adolescents, and even the primary age children, those who could understand God's word. Think about this, parents and grandparents stood for six hours and listened to the word of God. Um, did they have breaks and diversions and things? I, I would guess probably they did, but they gave attention to, there was a hunger for the word of God. Um, I don't know, how many of you posted a back-to-school picture of your kids this week, all right, homeschool or whatever, all right, several of you did. How many of you saw pictures of back-to-school kids? My boys were not smiling in ours um, as high schoolers. Um, the other day, I, saw, I think maybe I've shared this once before. This is a picture of someone who was a bit jaded about why are the school kids getting all the attention, okay? So, so here's the caption, then I'll show you the picture. If you're tired of all the first day of school posts, here is this picture, and here was the caption. 8,376 day of work. This is me, people. <laughs> Give me some love too, okay? Um, we, 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 we encourage the next generation, right? You're going back to school, and then the rest of us, we just slave labor through each day as we labor and work, and nobody gives us any credit for that. Uh, can I just say to you today, as it relates to the next generation, listen, they see what we are truly invested in. They are not going to love a word that you give a token acknowledgement to, and you show up for an hour plus once a week. They're not. The only word they're going to they're value is the one you invest in with your life and your time and you sacrifice your mornings for it and you give yourself to the ministry of it. Help build what will facilitate in our ranks a hunger for the word by the next generation. Their values will be based upon the tangible proofs of sacrifice in our life. And we cannot build that on spare time and pocket change. We must give more. And may we do so as the next generation watches. Um, and so this thought, and we'll move to our second point this morning. If the church is the body of Christ, that is, we are his visible representatives, then how we portray it in our incarnate gatherings and buildings does matter in light of eternity. Um, and so maybe just this question before we move on, how would the gospel in Jesus be platformed if everyone was doing it like you are? Would the cause of Christ be stronger and brighter, and more engaging, or would it be diminished? I have a part. You have a part. May we do so. May we platform the gospel in a way that pleases and honors the Lord. One pastor I respect said this. He said, I, I shun the spotlight, but I don't mind being the platform. It's not about us, but we often are the platform upon which Jesus shows up, his gospel shines out. Are we doing our part for the glory and honor of his name. All right, go to verse four. Notice the second component of this platform that this group got together and built for the glory and honor of God. Verse four, and Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. Beside him stood uh, Matt Mattathiah and Shema and Ananiah and Uriah and Hilkiah and Masela on his right hand, on his left hand, Padiah. Uh, Mishael and Malchiah and, and Hashem and Hashbadana. Aren't you glad you're not reading this right now? Out loud, Zechariah and Meshulam. And if all else fails, just read it really quickly. That's what I do, okay? So you have these 14 men up on top of the word used in our text is pulpit. The word actually has more the idea of a plaza or a platform. Um, and so they build this, they construct this platform for this moment uh, where God's word is going to go forth. The people ask for God's word, and before they give it, they build a platform so the people can all hear it. It's fascinating to me. All right, number two, jot this down. So platformed hunger. Number two, platformed respect. You notice that they elevate 
not the men, but the ministry of the word. There is a respect that is offered in this moment. Number one, help build what will elevate before us a respect for spiritual offices. And I don't want to go to seed on this today, especially as one who fills one, but help build what will elevate before us as God's people a respect for spiritual offices. Um, One of the things that we practice in our church, we don't let our kids just come up on this platform. There's nothing like Shekinah glory, you know, take off your sandals about this platform, okay? But there's something different that happens here. We're worshiping Jesus. We're preaching his word. And so even as I got up the steps this morning, it feels different to be here than to be where you're at. Not because of me, but because of what we're doing right now. And so there's, there's a respect for the office. There's a respect for what the office is accomplishing, through the gifting of the Spirit. Um, An illustration of that, not related to this stage, this past Tuesday we hosted an event at our church, the first time we've done this, where we had 16 ministry leaders come in this past Tuesday night, and we just loved on them. We gave them food and coffee, we studied God's Word, we encouraged each other, something we hosted for ministry leaders here in the northern section of Ohio. Most of them, there were a few closer to Toledo, that far away, as well as Cleveland. And we just encouraged them. And I was thinking about those who we were sitting over in the classroom wing using a couple of those rooms, the people who gave to refinish that space. And then the chairs we sat in and the ladies that cleaned the room. Um, and, 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 And so the things that we do build places to encourage those who serve in ministry. This building is a place we regularly love on missionaries. They've been called, called to reach their part of the world. And so building things that give respect and affirmation to those that are serving Jesus Christ. Um, Ezra here is described earlier back in verse 1 and 2. In verse 1, he's described as a scribe. In verse 2, as a priest. In verse 4, again, as a scribe. God had given him an office long before the platform was built. And yet, here is this man trying to serve the Lord and his people. All right, verse 5 that we just read a moment ago. Notice, as he's elevated, what does he do? tells a story about himself and how he's this amazing leader and what he's done the past 14 years. No way. Verse 5, notice what he does. He opens the book. What book? The book of Moses. uh, In the sight of all the people. Um, And so we see him elevated above the crowd, not for his own profile, but so that all people can hear the word. Just think about this logistically for a second. And we don't do this as much now. We used to a little bit more. But notice the people stand before he reads. If they had not built the platform, the moment the people stood, you no longer can see or hear, not Ezra, but the word of God. And so by elevating the word of God, it allowed them to revere the word of God. Do you understand that? And that has a lot of applications besides just what we're doing in our service this morning. And so what we do In elevating and supporting those who are serving God in ministry, it allows us to give greater reverence and respect to the Word of God. Someone I was reading recently said this, and many of you who have leadership in other areas, I'm sure this resonates in your areas as well. Someone said there are two ways to get a lot of attention in our culture, so to get your own platform, if you will. Build something great or attack someone who has, right? And he said this, the second one is easier. That's why most people opt for that one. Instead of criticizing, critiquing those who are trying to do something for God, not perfectly, but sincerely, we ought to be their greatest ally. People who come across this stage, people that we reach out to and minister and partner with, this church ought to be committed to supporting those that God has called to the ministry of the word. And you do that well in this place. All right, verse 6. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, so he made it about God, not himself. And all the people answered, Amen. Amen. We agree. He's great. He's the Lord. With lifting up of their hands, they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Number two, help build what elevate before us, what will elevate before us a respect for vertical worship. So we talked about those who preach the word, Ezra as the scribe and the priest but also it it elevated the worship of God, the praise of God. Help build what will elevate before us a respect for vertical worship. 
Here this word affected their physical posture in three tangible ways. They lift up holy hands. By the way, that's okay in our ranks, okay? I'm not going to let any theological bent rob for me things the Bible says are not just okay, but they're actually encouraged. Not drawing attention to ourselves, but to our God. And so you see them doing so. Their hands are moved. They lift up holy hands. They bow humble heads. And they prostrate their faces upon the ground. If someone did some of that in our church, I think we might, if we're not careful, pass judgment on that. We've lost the incarnate expression of glorifying God. And as a result, we're not modeling what we see mandated in Scripture. And so help build what elevates before us and others who watch us a respect for vertical worship. Ultimately, the local church is a place to platform not human personalities, but the Lord. He's the one we're trying to get out of the way of. Right, Brother Josh? As we lead worship, as we teach the Word, we're just trying to get out of the way so He can show up. That's the purpose of platforming corporately the Word of God. And so the collective amen that we have together brings glory and honor to our God. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says of Jesus, in him all the promises are yea and in him what? Amen. Under the glory of God, here's these last two words, by us. He gets glory, he gets the amen through his church. All right, let's talk for a minute about, so we're launching today what we're calling our amen project, just trying to affirm the public ministry of God's Word. So that's what happens in this space, our corporate gatherings, as well as in our counseling ministry and other things we do outside of this room. And I want to just give you a couple things to pray about as it relates to that. So this room here that you're sitting in was most recently, prior to us, a wedding party center. Have you remember the Memories Party Center? We had early on people who would walk in saying, I'm looking for memories. And we're like, that's kind of weird, okay? We weren't sure how to respond to that. Uh, this building was originally a lumber yard way back in the day. Some of you remember that back before, you know, back in the, the, the ancient times of Wayne County. Um, and it's been tons of things since then. The other side that now is our classroom wing was a furniture store was the last thing that it was Johnny's furniture store uh, when we bought the building. And so we've kind of been working from the other end to this end and we've gotten to uh, the edge of the central lobby. And so it is our prayer and desire now to renovate this space if you look closely, try not to, because we're trying to just keep things rolling. Uh, there are lots of things that would really could use some attention uh, in this room. Uh, and so we're praying about some areas in that and would ask for your partnership in giving and maybe helping with demo or other work in the days ahead as we keep you in the loop. But starting with our carpet, our flooring, probably we're going to do carpet tiles, like the larger tile that allows us to replace one if we have spills or stains. Um, we use this space for all kinds of things besides just church services. Um, the walls, repairing the walls, painting the walls. Uh, one of our biggest issues is all of the wallpaper that kind of isn't in as much nowadays as back when the mauve and, and the greens were in. Uh, and so we'll probably uh, freshen that up. Uh, one of the big things will be the ceiling. Uh, the ceiling that you see in front of you and above you is one of the most inefficient lighting, uh, ways of lighting this room possible. Um, in fact, if we're using just the offices, we have to turn on lights in this room. Uh, and so be replacing those with LEDs, allow us to zone the room, the, the building. So if we're only using this side, we do have some control, but there's not really a way to manage it. Uh, so be replacing the ceiling tile, uh, some of that sagging the grid as well as the lighting. Uh, and then the last thing in this space would be our sound booth, which we've been using since Greenbrier, the early days of our portable. Um, just to give you an example of how sketchy it is at times, you think we're a well-oiled machine. At least some of you still have that mirage in your mind. Um, just the other day, it was a Sunday night, thankfully. I, at, we have stuff plugged into the wall out of that. I unplugged, killed our computer and everything like 10 minutes before church. Um, and so a lot of our stuff is on wheels. It's portable. We'd like to build a proper sound booth, get the guys up a little bit. So when we're standing singing, they can see better some of those things. So those are a few things in this room that we want to do that help us to platform the word of God corporately. Now, is it going to have golden diamond laden chandeliers and things like that? No, 
but it is going to put a good first step forward. When folks come into the room, uh, they can see that we prioritize the Word of God. Um, and so as we ask you to give and to maybe help with some things, I mean, just for example, the carpet, we can save several thousand dollars if we demo that ourselves. Um, and so there are a lot of those kind of things. This isn't high-tech stuff. Some of the trades will have to be done by licensed uh, contractors, as you would know if you're familiar with commercial. But uh, anyway, those are a few things to pray about in this corporate space as we platform the Word of God. All right, go back to our text now to verse 7. And let's talk about for a minute a second thing that really is key in this transition, not just what we do together, but notice if you will, verse 7. Um, here we go again. And Joshua and Bani and Sherebiah and Jamin and Akub and Shabbatiah, Hadijah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites. Why couldn't they just say the Levites, okay? Just a generic label, although maybe all those were not Levites. Um, caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So we have a shift here now from the corporate to the individual. Number two, jot this down. We secondly need to personalize the Word of God individually. What you're going to see now is not just what God does in the whole, but what He does in each individual life that is equally important if we are going to build an amen uh, for the Lord. One of the tendencies in this room, if we're not careful, is we have this thing with God when we're together, but then we leave and there's nothing. Do you know that also affects what we do together? If there's not sincere walk with Christ in this room represented, that will eventually come out. That will be sensed. That will undermine uh, even our message as the corporate body of Jesus Christ. Um, I don't know if you've developed habits that you do, not just when people are around, but when you're by yourself. That's when it's really a habit. I'm talking good ones, okay? There are other habits we have that we hide until we're by ourselves. But somebody was saying the other day, have you ever sneezed by yourself and you still say, excuse me? There's, there's no one to hear the sneeze. There's no one who needs the excuse or the pardon me. Something just becomes so habitual that even when I'm alone, it's just second nature. Is that our relationship to the word of God? Is that our relationship? You know what? Amen, Lord, even when no one else is around, that I'm identifying with uh, the word of God. Uh, so let's talk about a couple things quickly. We see these Israelites modeling, I think, so well. Number one, jot this down, personalize mentally. They, with their minds, personalize mentally. They received God's word. They understood God's word. They applied God's word in their life. How did they do that? We'll go to verse 8. Come back to verse 7 that we just read a moment ago. So they, that would be those mentioned in verse 7, they read in the book in the book, in the law of God, notice this word, distinctly. Number one, help build what will lead to mental translation, where God's word and God's thoughts get translated to our mind and to our thoughts. Um, the word distinctly here is not just, doesn't just carry the idea of exposition. It actually has the idea of translation. It's very likely that they took God's word and were translating it. Remember, a lot of these are displaced Jews into Aramaic so they could understand in their own heart language what their minds would process, what God was saying. The word of God was translated in a way that they could understand and receive and apply. Um, and I think one of the challenges we have in our day is we have the word of God, I mean, written thousands of years ago, many sections of it, is our church, and then how we live this out in our lives, we are showing or fleshing out what it looks like in real time and space. That's one of our responsibilities as the church. What's the word look like in this area? Well, can they use you as an example? Can they use me as an example of what the word looks like? All right, and then back in verse 7, the, the end of the verse, notice, caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. The end of verse 8 gave the sense caused them to understand the reading. Number two, help build what leads to mental understanding. So it's translated. Number two, it is understood. Now, if you go back to chapter seven of, of Nehemiah, it's likely that this crowd was between 30,000 and 50,000 people. So you have Ezra on the platform speaking to a group of 30 to 50,000 people who first don't maybe understand God's word in the language he's reading it. 
At least there's some nuances that need to be transferred. And so the idea is that then these listed between verse 5 and 6 and verse 8, they go out and begin to explain it. They begin to work through the questions and concerns and applications of the crowd. And so we see careful, thorough uh, effort made to help these people personalize mentally what God had revealed to them. Just a thought today. Who is responsible for the ministry of the word in this church? Yeah, exactly. If we're not careful, we view it as the lead pastor, the senior pastor, and maybe those that he delegates that responsibility to, those that lead our groups and teach our kids right now while I'm teaching here, checks the curriculum to make sure it's done, teach or profess heresy. All that has a place. But do you know that we all have a part in the ministry of the word? The others can understand it. They can see it fleshed out in our lives and in the lives of others around us. And then it grabs a hold of their minds and it moves them in the direction that God wants. Are you willing today to become a more faithful partner of the teaching and preaching ministry of our church? And I just give you a few. I tried to list some things you could grab a hold of. This could look like teaching a class, faithful attendance to the services, involvement in small groups, cleaning the building, working in the nursery, praying for God's illumination, Maybe even making sure your household gets to sleep at a decent time before those public gatherings around the Word. And that doesn't talk about even your personal walk with the Lord. Do your kids ever catch you waking up in the morning already in the Word? Do your grandkids get a sense that grandma and grandpa, they're in the Word and the Word is in them? Are we personalizing the Word that helps those that know us to know Him through this book? That's what we see being modeled here uh, in the text. They wanted to know it for themselves. In Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10, it says of Ezra that he prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Ezra put in the work. Am I putting in the work? Are you putting in the work to prepare our hearts to be teachers and preachers and examples of what the word looks like in a human life? I had a man that I respect greatly that made this statement recently. He said, a desire to preach without a burden to study is a desire to perform. A desire to preach without a burden to study is a desire to perform. And may I put that back on you for a moment as well? I need to hear that. I spend way more time in my study here and at home than I do standing right here where I'm at this morning, if I'm doing my job right. But if we're not careful, the same thing is true of all of us, even when we're not the guy or gal testifying or teaching. Are we preparing or are we performing? And the reason the word is not burning in our hearts and blessing and, and stirring in others around us as God would have it often has less to do with the message in the audience and more to do with our lack of preparation. So may we do everything we can in our power to partner with those who have given themselves to the study of the word, to communicating the word, and to do our part to support it and to partner with them as God leads. All right, let's land today in verse 9 through 12. We see a second personalization that really helps not just the ministry in this day, but in our day. Verse 9, in Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, which just means governor, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. And then Nehemiah adds this addendum. Why did he say that? The end of verse 9, For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Lastly, personalized emotionally. So they personalized it mentally. They had to understand it. Number two, it moved them emotionally. Um, Tuesday night after we hosted that event with the, past, the church leaders uh, here, I went home. It was probably about 9.45, something like that. I walked in the house and, like, you know, again, I don't have the best sense of smell, but I knew something was off in the house. Like, I walked in like, Whoa. And here, 10 minutes prior to me getting there, our dog that got featured in last week's sermon, I think as well, got sprayed by a skunk. Uh, I think Heidi had just gotten home. his first week of school. She opened up the door, and he, just, he saw the skunk. The skunk saw him, and Mo just bolted. 
and got just sprayed like crazy. So I walked in to Moe's in the tub, and my wife is muttering different things. Her and the dog have had, <laughs> her and the dog have had a few stories this week. I don't have time to share all of them, but that dog's on thinner ice than he realizes, okay? He better behave himself for a while. But it, it, it created, it, it, it affect, it moved me, okay? <laughs> it moved me. Uh, and, and it moved my wife more than me, I think. She was there when it first happened. Um, can I just say to you that one of the things we do as the church of Jesus Christ is not only do we teach and share what should be known about God's word, we also model and manifest what should be felt. And just as I mentioned a moment ago that the raising of hands has fallen on hard times and the amens out loud with great conviction have, have kind of waned in our day, so has we've de-emphasized the emotional responses to the word that are clearly biblical. Some of you would get a bit nervous if, if I got too moved today or someone else did. And obviously it's within the bounds of scripture and his word. But the word of God, when it's platformed right, when it's personalized right, it is a moving message. And so we as God's people, we set the ambiance for that. I don't know if you realize this. Nick was just saying to me because he was sitting down front last Sunday night uh, with the service. I love to sit right here and just let you guys sing at the, the worship team over me. And I sing with you. Do you know that if, because we've done it, Brother Josh and I have done this, if it was just him and me, it's a whole different feel in this room. We did it for three months or whatever it was. It's a whole different feel. You and me together, we set the mood more than we realize. Uh, and so it's something we must give ourselves to in a very consistent and sacrificial and intentional way. All right, notice two things about this quickly and we'll finish. Number one, help to build what will move us with emotional brokenness. And we read that in verse 9. First, we see the, 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 the brokenness, the emotional moving of brokenness in God's people. Um, we don't know for sure why they were moved in that direction, but I would guess as, as Ezra read sections of the Old Testament of the law, they realized we have blown it. We have violated the things that God just commanded. And part of the judgment on this city is because of our sins. And they were broken by the word of God. It moved them because they personalized the word. When's the last time you were brought to tears by the word of God? And when's the last time someone else saw that? Some of us are a little more weepy than others. I'm very stoic, yeah, right? Um, some of you are, it, we're all wired differently. But when's the last time the word of God brought brokenness, whatever that looks like and who you're wired to be? When's the last time it's moved you in that way? May that be more true of us. Uh, in the days ahead. And so we see this brokenness as they consider the word of God and their part in it. While the pulpit and counseling ministry of our church is grounded in reasonable and rich theology, may it never be only academic. God intends for it to not only inform the mind, but to move the heart. I hope you leave the worship of this service, all the components, the singing, the preaching, the fellowship, that it moves your heart. If it doesn't, we've missed something. We've, we're lacking an area that we need to grow in as a ministry. And you notice here the bodies are moved. If you go back to verse uh, number seven, uh, verse six, notice that they lift their hands, they bow their heads, they worship the Lord with their faces. Now, just a thought as it relates to the emotions, because here's how we think. Well, yeah, we got to feel things, but then we got to do things. The same bodies that are moved emotionally in verse 9 of the same hands and heads and knees and feet that built the wall. It's our emotions are valid. They're a key component of us platforming and personalizing the word of God. Why is it not moving us? Where should it be moving us as the ministers of Jesus Christ? Our stage we have here, I've talked about this at least once before, but we have stairs. And these stairs, sometimes you've got munchkins singing songs, you've got pastors tripping on them, you know, that kind of stuff. But, but this is an altar. When's the last time you've been moved to brokenness publicly? Not in a way that gets attention to you. You know, some of you, it's been decades since you've been moved publicly to brokenness. And it may be at your seat, it might be outside, I don't know, wherever, but where you're moved emotionally. If a church preaches on hell and, and there's no tear in the eye of the preacher and no tear in the pewster that knows it's true, that affects how it's received by the lost. Th those things matter. 
our brokenness is something uh, that we can grow in. One author I was reading or evangelist said this recently, it's time to de-emphasize the stage and put the altar practically back into church. And that doesn't mean getting rid of the stage and building some massive altar. I'm talking practically, uh, letting it be more uh, in our lives. Should we have manipulative altar calls? No. But we ought to be moved by the word. May we do so for the glory of God. All right, let's end verse 10 through 12, the positive emotions. Then he said unto them, after he pumps the brakes on the weeping and the mourning, then he said unto them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, hold your peace, for the day is holy, neither be ye grieved. And all the people went, in, went their way to eat, to drink, to send portions, to make great mirth, because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. Lastly, help build what will move us with emotional celebration. I love Brother Josh mentioned that, that even the same psalm can have a lamentable tone or overtone, uh, but as well can be one of celebrations. Help build what will move us with emotional celebration. It's interesting if you look at Israel's feast, all of them are means of celebration except for one, that is the Day of Atonement. All the other feasts that God gave to his people to observe annually were all festive in nature, to eat, to drink, to celebrate, to send portions to others, to be giving. And so you see here the emphasis is not upon negativeness or mourning or being all down in the mouth, if you will. There's an encouragement that comes out of this attention from the word. What prompted all this celebration? Did you notice that at the end of verse 10? They had great mirth to make great mirth. Why? Because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. And so when the word is personalized, when it's understood and when it moves us, it moves us ultimately to give glory and praise to the Lord. There is today a direct correlation between our negativity or our positivity in our closeness and proximity to the ministry of the word in our church that God has put us in. And if you're not under the word and the word is not stirring in you, you are going to be a negative person, critical, gossipy, sniping. But when you're under the word that God is giving you, you can't help but celebrate. Because my whole world can be going down in flames, but God just spoke to me this morning. What's better than that? And he gives me comfort and clarity, and he gives me a future. Uh, and so when the word is personalized, listen to me, every person in this room can't help but be positive. Man, we've got a lot of negativity in our ranks, maybe not in this room, but in Christians as a whole. I'm not worried. I'm not cynical. And the only reason that's possible is because I'm in this word, and this word is in me. And when I'm not, it's because that's not true. And we let God's word give to us a positive, emotional perspective on life. A pastor friend of mine said this recently as he was launching some stuff in his church. I think this is a great statement. He said, timidity inspires the wrong people. Timidity inspires the wrong people. If your pastor and those that lead in this church are leading in a timid way, it's going to inspire the wrong kind of thinking in this room. We have the word of God to get to the nations. We have to reach the world with the gospel. We've got to reach the next generation with the gospel and through them, the world around them. There's no room for timidity. There's no room for hesitancy. There's a message and a ministry that's meant to move the world as we're faithful to it. All right, so a couple of things as it relates to other areas with our Amen Project. And we're kind of doing two things, preaching and then just kind of unveiling this project as a ministry uh, one of the things we'd like to do is behind you, for those of you who are seated, especially in the middle, there's a vacant space. It's not so vacant. We're using it for storage. But in that space, <laughs> to, have, uh, to build out our offices, I'll show you an overview of the project in just a moment, uh, which allows us not to have the confusing entrance of a business entrance and a church entrance. All that would allow us to enter through uh, the central lobby. Uh, one of the greatest challenges, if any of you have met with me, is trying to meet with me while people are in this room. Um, and in the bathroom next to me, and in the lobby on the other side, it, it, that we do not have uh, offices that are suited for private meetings or more um, 
close-knit kind of meetings, and so that's something we need to improve, as well as just to add some natural light in windows, uh, both for openness in our office space, but also accountability. You understand that uh, in our doors and in our walls. Uh, and so we would add some windows to the other side of where my office is currently on that wall. Um, we also often run our HVAC that's in this room to service our offices. We have no independent HVAC just for the offices. So we're running way more than we need to. So that would allow us some greater efficiency. And then the last thing is we're right now is Dave's office and our little, we have a few fridges that eventually is going to be our kitchen. Um, and if you notice in the text here, they feasted, right? I think one of the things of, of, of fleshing out the word is, is our fellowship together. Uh, and so that would be a part of the project as well, would be uh, finishing that. All right, let me show you. And this is not, you will know as soon as you see it, this was not done by an architect, okay? We're still in the early phases of this. But this is an overview of our project. So um, the, to the left would be the auditorium. So that's the yellow space where I'm standing right now is that little purple some of the colors don't come through perfectly on the projector, but that would be the stage that we would have done just recently. So this would be as is with maybe some changes in our lighting above it. Um, and so that yellow space, which is, um, what was the number, Nathan? Do you remember how many square feet that is? It's a mass. There's a lot of carpet in this room. Um, and so that, that would be one of the main things we replace would be the flooring in here. Where the orange little square is in front of those restrooms, would be where the sound booth is right now. We would build that out somewhere similar in that space, at least is what we're thinking. A uh, couple things of add would be, so you see the classroom to the, white, to the right. All of that kind of purplish blue is our lobby that currently is here, except for the lower section. So basically the hallway that you have back to your right, we would add another one about right here. So there'll be another access. There's a set of double doors out of the central lobby we don't use right now. So there'd actually be two sets of doors in the auditorium, which really changes the flow of the room. This is a real sticking point right now. And then some of you can really avoid me after church if there's another hallway. I knew you were thinking it. I'm just go ahead and diffuse that, okay? Because I'll, be I'll be waiting on you in the central lobby by your car if you skip enough times. Um, so we would add a hallway there. Um, and then on... Um, on this side, so between those two hallways would be a storage room, um, that green space there, and then the new kitchen, which already is framed out. So that kind of gives you a little feel there. And then our office wing would just be annexing my office currently, and then the space to this side of it toward the middle of the auditorium, and then you would access it off that hallway. Um, and so that's kind of the flow that we're thinking as of right now, um, would be adding the office space, getting that where it needs to be with a little bit of a lobby or receiving area, adding an additional entrance into the auditorium, finishing out the kitchen, um, and then redoing the flooring and the ceiling and the paint in this room. Does that make sense? So that's kind of what we're asking for your partnership in, both in labor and in giving. Um, and if you want, oh, I put it in the bulletin, didn't I? Yeah, you can see it there. So it's on that last, second or third to last page there. Uh, you can look that over. If you have questions, let me know. How are we going to get there? This is just, again, for guests, this is, you don't need to pay attention to the details of this. Currently, we're a little over 10% of what we're trying to raise by the end of the year. Uh, we're currently, if we have overages in our general fund, we're putting extra monies into our building fund. We've been able to do that now uh, for a few quarters this year. And so hopefully continue to grow that number without even your direct giving other than your general fund giving. Uh, anniversary offering goal. This would be a key thing to pray about. We're praying that God will help us to get to half of the goal by anniversary Sunday. We have the Clark family with us. We're having a concert that Saturday night. By Sunday, when we finish that service in the morning, our prayer is that we could have the balance at 100000 So if you would pray about giving something, um, I, I would say 100% participation and equal sacrifice. For each of us, that's different, right? For some of you, it's going to look different than others that have maybe a little mar more margin or uh, discretionary spending, but would ask all of us to participate and equal sacrifice in that. Um, and so that kind of gives you an overview of how we'll get there. And then the goal will be after that offering to try to raise the rest of that money by the end of the year. What we're going to do as far as working on it is work on it as the money's come in. So right now, I can't remember the exact quote on the carpet, but we just work from the top down as the money's come in. You would start to see things happening in this room. I'm tempted just to rip stuff out. 
And then you realize, hey, we got to fix this, okay? I won't, I'll try not to do that unless you really slack on me, but, or I slack on it as well. But uh, that's kind of how we're going to work at it, just paying as we go, not incurring any additional debt. Does that all make sense to you? So this is the 90% of the floss, okay? We all like this 10% we're enjoying today, but this is important. Um, and so there, we, for example, the carpet, we've had folks trip, especially back at this door, try to restretch it. Um, there's all kinds of stains in this carpet, a lot of them gravy stains. Sorry, now I'm bringing up stuff we try to keep you from looking at normally. But uh, anyway, those are kind of the things that we're praying about and ask for your partnership in. Um, and then there may be some things we need help with with trades. If you, if you paint, if you do electrical, if you have a license, especially in those areas that you know are required, if you let me know that. We have several new folks in our church. I may not be aware of that. You can let Pastor Nathan or myself know. We'd love to talk with you about possibly overseeing some of those phases. Um, lastly, if you would pray for favor with the city and planning, we'll be working on some of the planning this fall. Just pray for wisdom on that as we set that in motion. All right, let's end today in Ephesians. Would you go there for a moment? Appreciate your attention today. Ephesians chapter 3. And uh, in a moment, I'll explain this picture. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Say, Pastor, are you tracking with the news and economically how things are going? Yes, I am. Say, how, how, can we, how can we move forward as a church when things are tight and things seem to be tightening up? Um, Brother Heath is going to be sharing a testimony tonight. I just saw a study today that said a third of all job vacancies are the result of long COVID. Um, so there are long-term um, effects of a lot of stuff that our, our world is navigating, whether, whether real or perceived. Sometimes those are a part of all of this as well. But there's a lot of worlds navigating. How do we go on the offensive? Listen, we either retreat or we advance. And I think you're here because you sense our church is moving forward, not moving away from the faith, but moving forward and moving to reach the next generation, to reach our county, to reach it anew and afresh, to reach the people you love and care for. And so these verses undergird my confidence because I, I have my doubts and questions about things at times, at times as well. And we read this or saw this in the video to begin. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, who's the us, he defines it, verse 21, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages. That includes this age, right? Glory throughout all ages. Notice, world without end. Amen. He ends with the word, Amen. This picture you're looking at here today, for those who didn't even read the verses with me, you're wondering what this is. This is a picture of the torch of the Statue of Liberty being constructed. Um, this was donated by uh, the country of France in celebration of our democracy. And it was interesting, we were there, I don't know if you've been to Staten Island or been to that area or not, um, but... Uh, they gave us a little pamphlet, and in it they talked about how they built it. It was just fascinating to me. And they said that France constructed all of the Lady Liberty. They shipped it over on boats. But the one responsibility of the U.S. was to build the pedestal and the base of it. And they didn't have the money. And so uh, a gentleman named um, Joseph Pulitzer, which we now know the Pulitzer Prize, a Hungarian immigrant... There's a throw out, okay, for our returning from Hungary, wayward church members. Um, he, he was a writer, and so he put something in his paper, and, and what happened is men, women, but especially children, began to send in nickels and dimes and quarters, which had a little more value back then than now, and they raised over $100,000 to build the base, which now would be cost, much more costly and I've been there. I've seen the Statue of Liberty. But listen, somebody had to pay for and build the foundation. And I was thinking about this, these who are doing all these ornate things, and that's what gets all the attention. But these little kids, whoever they are, that are now in eternity, they're not still on this planet, they put in their nickel or their quarter or their dime to help build the foundation uh, for that light that still shines today. And I want to show you, because here's what often happens, and then we'll pray, is we tend to talk about these things in a general sense instead of in a personal sense. Do you know there are people in this room who have people who they love and care for that have met Jesus in this room? 
or they've received Christ in my office just behind you to your left or your right. Um, This is also one by one, this impact that we have as a minister of the Word of God. And so I wanted to show you, this is a ship manifest from my wife's family. So this would be, you can see at the top, um, it's a little hard to see. This is 1922, August 24th, 1922. Passengers sailing uh, from Hamburg, yeah, Germany. Um, And so this is a manifest. And then the second highlighted area is Amelia Hayduke. This would be Cindy Yoder, Heidi's mom, her great-grandmother came over on a boat, and not grandma, yes, Heidi's great-grandma, in 1922. Now, here's just the thought. What do you think she thought and felt? Let's just go there for a moment. When she saw Lady Liberty, she couldn't have missed it. All because somebody built the foundation. Here's what I want North Life to be in every church like I'm for any other church trying to preach the gospel is that when people want to find God, they know if they come here, they can find him. And when they walk in, they can feel him. They can see him. And they see that we truly love him. So things we're talking about today, physically, those are not the end. The carpet will have to be upgraded again. The building will have to be realigned again. Someday this church will no longer be here. And we'll all be around the throne worshiping the God who does deserve glory. But this is a part of that. And I trust that you'll do your part to pray with us. God will help us. Is it about the building project? Yes, but it's much bigger than that. Where can you get more involved? Where can you be more a part of publicly platforming the word of God and personalizing in a way that gets the attention of the watching world? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today.